gosh, I'm glad those kids are outside now. David, how are you? Not bad, Rob. How are you? I'm not bad at all. Fancy seeing you here in the common room. Well, it's as good a place as any to get a glass of water and chat about what's going on. And not get killed by monsters, I imagine. Ah, uh, well, I don't think there's any guarantee we're not going to be killed by monsters just because it's the staff room. <laughs> Indeed. Um, here we are, folks. This is the Doctor Who Show Presents, and we're looking at the first episode of Class for tonight, We Might Die, hence our talk about getting murdered here. Um, before we get into a blow-by-blow of what happened in this episode and what we thought of it, David, your very quick impressions, just off the top of your head, a one-sentence, if you will, on how you felt after watching this episode. Uh, my my, my one-sentence line is, I really liked it, but there's more it needs to do before it's a winner, an absolute winner. I would feel similarly. I think uh, it was enjoyable enough to keep watching. It's obviously not my demographic, our demographic, uh, but I think there's potential. Yeah, look, I didn't sit there going in episode one, okay, this is it, I'm buying it, I'm in, I love the characters, I want to watch more instantly. But at no point was I looking at the clock, at no point was I going how long is to go. I was enjoying the episode. I was absolutely enjoying the episode. But it's still... If, if this was a report, uh, class is doing very well, but has to work harder to achieve its full potential. C+. Plus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, let's get into it in detail. And I guess the first thing we should discuss is the opening credits. It's a song called Up All Night by Alex Clare. I was kind of taken aback by it. I don't listen to young people music. I thought, oh, what's this? Ah, ah, music, eh, what's happening? Um, how did you feel when that came on the screen? I felt as though I was back in about 1998. Right. <laughs> because that was kind of this period of where that sort of thing first started to happen. And it actually reminded me of when Enterprise started at a similar sort of time. And they did a similar thing where they had a song as their opening, which was very, very different for, for, for Trek. And it kind of just is this big beacon that says, we are hip and trendy, we are hip and trendy, we are hip and trendy. Mm. And that was my reaction to it. Again, though, as somebody who's slightly older than the demographic that was aimed at. So I didn't hate it, but it was a bit like, okay, so we're going for hip and trendy. Yeah, yeah. The actual visuals I didn't mind at all, but it was the music that took me back. Maybe it was a bit like the in-betweeners or something when I was watching it. I was like, oh, different. Yeah, the the visuals were great. Um, And, and of course, it it says there, you know, the, the very last thing is with Peter Capaldi. So you're going, okay, he's in this one. We, we know to expect that, and it was interesting that it was put straight at the credits. If I could take you back just a tiny bit, though, Rob. Please do. When I first opened this on my iPad and went to the ABC's iView app to watch it, the very first thing that comes up when you hit play is a big M rating warning that says for mature viewers only. Yeah. And because I was in a Doctor Who kind of place, getting that warning before it was a bit, oh, okay, this, this is a bit different. And it was actually quite palpable, that sense that, just a simple seeing a rating on the front of it uh, changed my um, expectations of what was to come. Yeah, I mean, class has been coming for a long time and we've had this sense of it's for younger viewers, it's for young adults. That word young is getting thrown around. But it's certainly not the young end of young adults. It's it's the, the upper end of young adults, if I can put it that way. It's, dare I say it, the end of young adults that have a disposable income. Mm, yeah. Yep, you could say that. 
So yeah, go on. No, no, the credit, the credits were good. The, yeah, they, they were, they, they were, they were what they were though. Yeah, and look, I, I, I know I say, oh, it's young people music, there and all of this, but I get the feeling by the second or third episode, I'll probably be tapping my feet to the tune, and by the end of the show, I'll probably be whistling it and doing a jaunty little jig while it's on. You know, I'll probably get quite used to it, in other words. Yeah, and I wonder how much of all of this is going to be us just getting used to a slightly different genre uh, rather than it pitching uh, or improving itself. Maybe we just have a little bit of getting used to because it's slightly different to what we would normally watch these days. Yeah, and that's something I, I want to talk about when we wrap up talking about this episode, you know, because I've seen reactions online on Twitter over the last, I don't know, 12 hours or so. And, you know, a lot of the older fans are saying, well, this isn't for me, or this was horrible, or, you know, whatever they might be saying. And I am thinking, well, maybe it just takes a little bit of, you know, a little twist in your mind just to go back to being that age or just to get used to it maybe before you can really make such a snap judgment. Yeah, look, not every show is an instant classic. In fact, most shows aren't instant classics. And if I look at some of the best or my favourite shows on my DVD shelf, some of them took two years to hit their stride. I mean, for goodness sake, Star Trek The Next Generation took almost three years to hit its stride. Yeah. Babylon 5 took half a season to hit its stride. You know, science fiction or science fantasy is difficult, and it is hard to find a pitch. And when you're trying to do it mixed in with that more earthbound uh, young adult audience, that's even harder. So I don't expect it to land perfectly on its first run. That would just be ridiculous to assume. Yeah, yeah. And how did it land? Uh, it starts off with a student being chased through the, the corridors of the newly refurbished, or or I think it's a whole new building for Coal Hill. It's Coal Hill Academy now. Uh, I guess they refurbished it to give them those bigger corridors that they can run down. <laughs> uh, he is saved by an older blonde woman. We've already seen her in promo shots as, as knowing she's Miss Quill. She's a teacher. Yeah. Uh, a shocking creature appears. We hear a gunshot and a scream. And then that's it. It's a, it's a classic sort of setup. And then it cuts to, I guess, the next day or later that day. And students are arriving at school saying, oh, Kevin, Kevin hasn't come home, you know, and, and students are disappearing. Why aren't people noticing that? It's, it's this really classic kind of stuff is going down at a high school. The kids know, but it's kind of being brushed under the carpet, which is a, uh, a theme in a, in, a, in a few shows. And I mean, we've spoken about Buffy on the Doctor Who show before as being an example of that, probably. Yeah, and, and I think it's good that they actually do acknowledge that there is that awareness of it, and it's not going to be like a Midsummer Murders where nobody notices that their death count is massively high or, you know, the bill where this police station has so many fatalities that no one would ever work there. At, le at least they're acknowledging that elephant in the room. Yeah, Midsummer, I think more people got murdered over the course of that show than would probably have lived in a village of that size, but yeah, I, I digress. That, that's right. So, you know, that, that's that's part of the conceit of the show, but at least they're saying, okay, we, we, we know that's there. We, we get that. But very quickly, I found watching it, I did have this feeling of we're not in Kansas anymore, mm -hmm. which is a good thing because I really did feel that this quickly established that it was its own show with its own style, its own tone, its own visual sense. And I think that stems in part because unlike Torchwood, unlike the Sarah Jane Adventures, where they kind of had their own backdoor pilots through Doctor Who themselves, you know, we saw Sarah in um, Doctor Who, we saw the Torchwood crew, or at least Captain Jack in Doctor Who, and then they moved on to their own series. This is creating its own world from scratch and then bringing the Doctor into it. 
and I really am pleased that they've done that. They've they've made it its own thing, and, and but that and it was so clear just watching it that it was its own thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of creating that world, as soon as you know we have these students pass by the camera saying Kevin hasn't come home, students are going missing. We start meeting the main characters. You know, we're not we don't know their names right away, but the character we we come to know as Ram bumps into Charlie, and he acts like a bit of an ass. He's you know he's, he says something like it's oh, it's like knocking over a baby lamb or something. You know, and he called him posh. We see Tanya talking to April. We learn that Tanya is a few years younger than the other um, the other kids in the show. I shouldn't call them kids. I think they're all in their mid twenties, aren't they? Uh, well, 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 in fact, Greg Austin actually, who plays plays Charlie, got married yesterday. So did he yeah, really? And 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 I, I, have to, I have to sort of mention um. I've checked out a couple of other things that Greg Austin's been in, including an episode of Law and Order with Peter Davison. So he's now been in something with two doctors. Oh. But he, he his his hairline is not that of a 17-year-old, and I think that's why his fringe is very clearly brushed forward the whole show. Yes, I, I noticed that too, I've got to say. Um, speaking of Charlie, April, after she has that conversation with Tanya, bumps into him and she wants to go to the prom, but he gives a very strange reaction, and we're not really sure why. And then Ram walks past, and he's a bit of an ass again, I think that time, to, to Tanya. So instantly we get this sense that Ram's a bit of an ass, Charlie's a bit weird, April is very sweet, and Tanya is very young. And there's the four characters in a nutshell. Yeah, so pros and cons there. The the, the con side first, I, I've written down here the kids are very obvious, in that if you were to sit down and guess what kind of tropes you're going to have in a show like this, you would have the cool jock, the strange nerd, the nice girl, the, the smart girl. Like, it, it kind of just ticks really obvious boxes. So that, I think, is a, a a shame in a way, but we don't know where they're going to go with these characters. On the positive, though, we did see very quick... We, we quickly established them, and that's good for the show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, do you know, at this point in time, I was starting to, to ask myself whether uh, Tanya was meant to be Courtney. And not for the obvious reasons, but because she is younger... And the Courtney character in Doctor Who is younger. And I thought, I wonder if this was originally meant to be like Courtney, you know, being pushed up a bit to play with the older kids in a Coal Hill environment. And it just didn't have... It was just a random thought. I'm probably just completely making stuff up. But uh, it, it did strike me as to why this character is younger. Does that play into things? I guess it does to some degree. We meet her mother and obviously she's overly protective because her daughter is younger than everyone else in her year. But uh, it, it just made me think, oh, was this meant to be Courtney? I don't know. Okay, no, that, that excuse me, that actually didn't occur to me. So, but, you, but you're right to wonder, and I, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, we meet Miss Quill, who I guess is uh, the rest of the team now being fleshed out, who proves to be a very odd sort of teacher. Maybe even too odd, like trying a little too hard in those first classroom scenes where she's being so mean, and it's very obvious that she's not perhaps a real teacher yeah i would i would actually say miss quill's probably the bit i still have the biggest question mark over and certainly by the end of this episode um i haven't seen a, i'm not saying i dislike her but i'm still a little bit i don't think they quite know where they want her character to fit and so yeah i'm and i'm struggling for words because i'm just not quite sure how i do feel about her at the moment 
Yeah, look, I, I feel similarly again. Uh, and to me, it's because it, it does have that semi-sort of try-hard feel to it, like being really mean and yet saying stuff that's meant to be quite funny as well. Uh, it's not quite gelling for me at this point in the episode. But then we quickly move on. Uh, Tanya goes to a local shop. And here, I think, is the weirdest part in what is quite a weird episode. She meets an old woman who just comes out with the random comment, I caught my husband fiddling with himself. And I thought, where did this come from? Were you struck by that? I did notice that it stood out, not so much because of the line, but just the way the woman in the shop played it. If this had been an episode of Buffer, you'd expect it to be some sort of demon by the end of the episode. Like, it was just a really... It was a really incongruous moment. I, I don't know why it was in at all, because it was played in a really strange way. I, I may have an answer to that. Do you know who the actress is? No. Well, the clue is it's not an actress. It is, in fact, June Hudson. So it was. <laughs> and for people at home, June Hudson was a costume designer on the classic series of Doctor Who, famously redesigned Tom Baker's outfit for his last season and so on. Yeah, around the early J&T time and um, did some Blake Sevens as well, I believe. That's right. So perhaps the line was delivered in an odd way because June isn't really an actress. An actress. That actually makes a lot of sense now, you tell me. <laughs> Uh, we, we move on, Charlie goes home, and he lives with Miss Quill, and for, oh, look, for maybe half a second I thought, what? And then everything kind of twigged for me at that point, you know, they're both kind of strange, they're living together, they're outsiders, oh, I bet they're aliens. I, I twigged at that point. Yeah, and, and I actually wrote this down as one of, one of my bigger points, and, and I think I think it's a good one. They didn't mess around with that. They could have spent three or four episodes doing the who is charlie what's going on what's it all about whereas they've just got in and kind of gone yep he's an alien she's an alien this is their backstory dum -da -dum -da -dum. and it was kind of allowed us to get straight into the plot and i actually think that whilst episode one maybe isn't the best piece of drama in terms of establishing the world it did it very very efficiently and that's that's a good thing i think but you're right I, I noticed that back in the classroom scene when Charlie was uh, Googling Id Idris Elba, and at first I thought, that's a kind of a weird thing to happen. Is that trying to so telegraph something or I missed something? And mm. it very quickly came across, actually, no, this guy is clearly an alien. He doesn't know pop culture. But they, they delivered that within by halfway through the episode. Yeah, and I, I'm really glad for it too. And I, I guess it's because this is a fairly short series. I think it's only eight episodes long. That's right. Perhaps if it was a 12-part or 13-part series, this might have been teased out a bit more. But instead it's like, no, nope, we've only got eight episodes to play with. Let's get this on the table halfway through the first episode. Yeah, and, and hopefully that means that they can spend the next seven just telling really good stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we learn quite a bit Um soon after uh, about a few characters one Tanya's mother is very controlling I mentioned that earlier and we also learn about Miss Quill's relationship with um, with Charlie mm. and, and we learn that in an interesting way obviously with um, 
Ram and Tanya on Skype, and uh, Tanya gets attacked by a shadow, while simultaneously April is also attacked by a shadow at school and is saved by Miss Quill, and that's where we get the big reveal that Miss Quill and Charlie come from this other planet. He's a... Uh, uh, a Rodia or a Rodian. I get that confused because Greedo in Star Wars was a Rodian. Um, <laughs> and Miss Miss Quill is, funnily enough, a Quill. And uh, yeah, this this backstory I found quite quite fun because April is imagining it. And when she's told they're a learned society, she imagines them all in school uniforms. Did, did you yeah. find that funny? Yeah, I, I did. I actually thought it was quite a, quite a clever way to do it. And and the, and the unique way to do it, it was a very, for, for a scene that could have just been very dull exposition, it was actually quite a lovely little scene. Yeah, I particularly like where he said, but we come from this planet and we, we start zooming in on this planet and then Miss Quill says, you know, I'm from that planet too and it sort of breaks and then it starts again. <laughs> That's right, yeah, that was that, that was a very nice moment. I did like that. I, I really did like that a lot. Yeah, it was a, it was a really nice touch and, and they're very learned, so they're all in sort of school uniforms looking like they're out of Grange Hill or something. And but he is uh, a prince, so he's sitting on a throne in his school uniform. It was it was a really a really fun scene that I uh, I quite enjoyed. Uh, yeah, and, and and it sort of shows that you know a character like April would be struggling to grapple with what this is. You know, how how do you imagine this? How do you conceive this? So it did it did bring it home really well, but it, it was very very Roswell. So for those who don't know the TV show Roswell, I think it went out as Roswell High in the UK, in that one of the alien characters who is a student was a prince on his former home world and there was a civil war and he got kicked out and all the rest of that. So I did see, deliberately or not, a little bit of a reflection of that show in this. Right. Speaking of April as well, we, we not long after this meet her mother who is disabled. She's in a wheelchair which I thought was an interesting choice um, to make, you know, to, to put some disabled characters into the story. But perhaps more interestingly, her mother looked very young. <laughs> and yes. I, guess, I guess it's to highlight that April is still young. Obviously, a 18-year-old girl wouldn't have a, you know, 50 or 60-year-old mother, perhaps. But uh, they came across as being more similar sort of ages, which I found slightly distracting when I was watching those scenes. Yeah, particularly as the mother was trying to be the whole... You know, I'm your mum, but I can be your best friend. And when you're trying to go for that, and they also look like they're the same age, it really kind of blurs into one quite strange little uh, feeling. And I was kind of left walking out of that going, I didn't like that very much. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Ram is getting ready for the prom. I should say everyone's getting ready for the prom at this point in time. April talking to her mum, Ram talking to his father, and so on. And uh, off they go. We're into the prom. So it's... it's uh, it's very Buffy-like to me, even the fact they're having a prom. I mean, when did they start having proms in the UK? Yeah, I I actually wonder that as well. Now, I have no idea if they do or they don't, but a, a lot of the cultural references and the kind of way the school was set up and everything felt to me like very, very American. Now, I don't know if that's a reflection of the show trying to be more American, or it's actually a reflection of the fact that in an UK high schools now, a lot of that American culture has bled across and it's an accurate reflection. I don't know, but I did wonder about that. Mm, yeah, I guess I guess schools have changed since we were there. I mean, I saw my local um, primary school and then kids leaving in year six 
and they were all dressed in gowns with caps like they'd just got a university degree. I thought, what the hell is going on here? When, when we left yes. in year six, we just walked out wearing our shorts and our shirt and said bye, and that was that. We did, That's we right. If you're, lucky at a, if you're lucky at half-hour assembly, but no, you're absolutely right. Um, primary schools now do have a full American-style graduation. Mm. So, yeah, maybe maybe it is a reflection that this culture has bled into the UK as well. Do Do we know if BBC America has kicked any money into this show? The answer is I don't know. Yeah, me either. I might check up on that because if they have, that might be another pointer as to why it maybe has that slight American tinge to it in, in the way the, the school looks and, and the things they're doing. Yeah, or at the very least, maybe BBC America was an early buyer of the project and they want to make sure that they've got a good product. Yeah. Because uh, well, I, I do know that at one of the recent Comic-Cons, I think it was the U, U New York Comic-Con, Class and Dirk Gently were sharing a stage, so I think they must... And Dirk Gently is certainly a BBC America product, so I suggest that there is a link there, yeah. Ah, oh, Dirk Gently, the other show I want to do a podcast about, as well you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> Another 40 minutes before it's screened on the East Coast. Yes, yes. Okay, well, let's hurry up so I can go watch it. No, I'm just kidding. There was a great scene here at the prom that I want to highlight, uh, because the Shadowkin, these these enemies of the Rhodia and the, um, the Quill, are arriving. And someone's running around asking, where are the teachers? Where are the teachers? And we see that the teachers are all outside with the kids. One's helping a kid who's vomiting copiously on the ground. The other's helping a girl who's just split up with her boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is so realistic. This is exactly where the teachers would be. It is. It was It was really, really funny. It was really, really clever. And and, and I love the world weariness with which the teachers played those those little moments. That, that was a very good point. Yeah. Uh, as mentioned, the Shadowkin have uh, popped up, they've invaded, they want the Cabinet of Souls, which is apparently some sort of cabinet where all the souls of the, the roadie go and become little points of light, and it's, it's all quite uh, magical, mythological, uh, religious, you could even say. Uh, but Charlie pricks that notion by saying that he's opened the cabinet before and looked in and there's absolutely nothing there, it's just a children's story which uh, I thought was interesting. I don't know whether it was like a comment on atheism and religion or whatever that might have been. Although at the end of the episode, we also get another hint about the cabinet. At that early stage of the episode, uh, or of the series, I should say, what did you make of that talk of the cabinet of souls and the Shadowkin chasing it? I simply chose to leave it to the side because I'm one of these people who doesn't like to think too hard about where an arc's going to go, where a series is going to go. So I thought, okay... They've given us some pointers. We'll see where this goes. And then I left it aside because that's how I like to view a show like this. Fair enough. At this point, I note that I've I've actually missed a few fairly important plot points out uh, in discussing this, such as how April's heart is now tied to one of the Shadowkin and how Charlie uh, took another bloke to the prom and so on. But I think we can probably get to those in our discussions of the characters at the end. Uh, because we're rushing through the episode in a similar way to how the episode sort of rushes through, because it's at this point that Peter Capaldi turns up um, as the Doctor. Woohoo! Yeah, he'd been uh, sort of pre-announced earlier in the episode with a an older piece of music by Murray Gold, I think, the Doctor's theme, and I, I was wondering whether the Doctor who had met Charlie and Miss Quill in the past was a, was another Doctor. But it seems that when Capaldi arrives, they recognise him straight away. So it wasn't that they had met 
uh, Eccleston, for example, and being saved by Eccleston or something like that. That that was briefly a thought running through my head. I don't know oh, if that okay. had crossed your mind. No, no, it, it didn't. But um, I probably wasn't looking at looking at looking for those sort of things. But no, that's an interesting point. But no, I think it's pretty clear that it was the Capaldi Doctor. Yeah. In hindsight, it might have been too complex to have worked that in. You know, although saved by this Doctor and now they're meeting this Doctor and why is he different? Yeah, just don't worry about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Capaldi comes in and. Here's a thought I had. The, the moment he started talking, I thought, oh my God, this is the first time we've seen the Capaldi Doctor written without Moffat having the final word over what he's saying. That's interesting, because I absolutely loved Capaldi in this. I loved the Doctor in this. I he Look, he absolutely stole the show, but Capaldi is a good enough actor that he can steal a show without swamping the other actors. And I thought he did it really, really well. He had all the best lines. The only negative I had, and it's a tiny little one, is, again, that use of the Murray Gold theme when he arrived. Mm -hmm. Because having been really happy the whole way through that they've gone, they've got their own tone, they've got their own style, suddenly Capaldi turns up and, oh, we'll have the Doctor Who style back for 15 minutes and we'll direct it in that way and we'll do the music in that way. I thought, no, no, make him a guest in this show. Don't make the show about him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, he was absolutely great, but it, it did sort of change in these scenes with him. It, it felt like suddenly we were in a Doctor Who episode and yeah. all the the gore and the swearing and, and the stuff that we'd been seeing earlier in the episode was all gone for the moment and we were sort of in a kid's show again. Slightly jarring, and perhaps it's good that he won't be popping up, as far as we know, in other episodes uh, I, although we have said in the past that maybe he'll pop up at the end of the series, maybe to bookend it. I know you're not keen on that idea, but it would seem to be the kind of thing they might do. Uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I stand by my opinion, and I agree with your contention. <laughs> but uh, I was going to say, yeah, I, I was completely wrapped with how he appeared, the way he acted. And as I say, without Moffat having the final word on how he's written, it was kind of like, is this a sneak peek at what he might be like if he continues on after Moffat leaves? But um, that's maybe a pipe dream. I don't think he will be doing that. Uh, what else? They get rid of the Shadowkin, and then we have a lovely moment where the Doctor gives this beautiful line, Time has looked at your faces, and time never forgets. Mm. And as he says it, he sees Oswald C. up on the board, uh, on the wall. And he's talking about never forgetting. He's looking at Clara's name. Is his memory of Clara returning? Yeah, that was something that crossed my mind as well but not until after the episode because i did notice obviously the board uh, it had danny pink's name there and then when i saw clara's name underneath i thought oh is that a reference to she's dead because she's not dead but i guess in our world they would think she's dead and i was sort of going through that permutation of it all rather than thinking about the doctor's reaction and then afterwards i thought hang on (laughs) i i thought he forgot all about her yeah. What was that all about? Yeah. Or did he? We don't know. And, and, I, and I guess, you know, to explore your point, if he sees something that says D. Pink, C. Oswald, if he's forgotten about Clara, has he forgotten about Danny? Or does he go, Danny Pink, I've met him. How did I meet him? He was friends with, uh, I can't remember. Mm. And that gets back to that Clara-shaped hole in his memory. So... Yeah, that is an interesting way they played it. And it'll be interesting to know 
to what extent that scene was run by Moffat. And they said, look, if, if we sort of do him doing this, is that all going to fit in with where you're going? Yeah, exactly. And um, I was going to say, he obviously remembers Cole Hill School, so he would remember Danny. He mentions to the kids that he used to be the caretaker. So he, he That's obviously right. has a lot of memories. That's right. So he can remember being the caretaker. He probably does remember Danny. So he would therefore know that Clara was something that he's forgotten. Mm. Very interesting. I wonder if that'll play out in our next series of Doctor Who. Well, I kind of hope not, because having, <laughs> having seen the back of Clara, I just want to move on from Clara. But... I, I know, I know, but you know they love to have their little, you know, moments, whether it's a picture of Hartnell on the wall or the Brigadier in the jetliner or whatever it is. They, they love that sort of stuff. I know, past the schmaltz. <laughs> And that's pretty much the end of the episode. Um, there were some other things that I think we'll mention as we get to the characters, like Ram getting a new leg, for example. Uh, so the characters themselves, why don't we start with Charlie? We mentioned his comb-over earlier, so we can, we've got that out of the way. <laughs> what did you make of Charlie, David? I thought that Greg Austin did a very, very good job of making the character work. Because this character played the wrong way could have just been awful, and he absolutely worked for me. He absolutely worked for me. I thought he was the star of the show. I thought he was the linchpin of the show, and I really like what they've done with him. Yeah, I particularly like the the final scene, and I don't mean the scene where he, he looked into the Cabinet of Souls, but just before that where it was hinted at that he may have an inner sort of rage about what's gone on, obviously his whole race being wiped out. Uh, mm. But it maybe doesn't behoove a prince to um, be angry on the outside. So he may be a seething little ball of hate that, that bursts at some point in this series. I'm, I'm thinking that might be the case, actually. Yeah, when, when we talk about the potential this show has, a lot of that is in, in that character and where they can go with that, whilst at the same time making sure that he's not so alien that it actually detracts from it. Dare I say like watching Black Orchid, where in that, when you've got a contemporary uh, story setting and suddenly Nyssa and Adric are just so alien that, and they spend so much time going, oh, what's this? Oh, what's that? Why do people do this? Why do people do this? Just shut up and tell me a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds me of a video that was uh, up on Facebook the other day where they highlighted how many questions Luke Skywalker asks in A New Hope. It's, it's, it's every question <laughs> Luke asks spliced together. And you yes, realise he asks many, 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 many questions in that film. Yes, I, I do recall seeing the uh, seeing Star Wars Episode Four when it was re-released in 97. And for the first half hour going, I've forgotten just what a whiny, annoying little brat Luke Skywalker was. <laughs> He certainly is. Um, for me, Charlie, yeah, uh, I, I think there's some really interesting stuff to come, uh, as, as I've suggested. I think that ball of hate may may have to come out, uh, and how that plays out, I don't know. He's obviously got the, the Cabinet of Souls, which is described as a weapon. Does he flip out and use that at some point? I don't know. Uh, it would seem to be the pieces are on the table. We just have to see how they're played now. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I, I was a big fan of his. Yeah. Miss Quill, uh, we mentioned her earlier. She's odd, she's quirky. I'm not quite buying it. Sounds like you're in the same boat. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not not buying it, but I'm waiting for them to make the sale. 
Tanya. I have this theory she was meant to be Courtney, but that's just bonkers. Uh, aside from that, I found her quite a quite a nice character. I think that relationship with her mother, you know, you're not going to the school dance, you're not dancing with boys, That that's quite an interesting uh, thing in a series where the the uh, the kids, as I keep calling them, are sort of skewing a bit older, and it's it's kind of highlighting that she really is this younger character, although she is incredibly smart, as is played out a few times in the episode. So she's the uh, the younger brain box, I guess. Yeah, I'm actually going to disagree with you on that one, Rob. Okay. For me, for me, she was the weak link of the episode, simply because her character felt like one that had been created in a writing room, not one that naturally evolved. It was just, I thought it was cliche after cliche. The youngest smart student who has to act older, the um, ethnic student who's got a really overprotective mum. It was, I just sort of thought, there's nothing original here. It, it feels contrived. I hope that they go in better directions with her, but for now, I actually thought she was the, she was the bit that made me go, I'm watching a TV show. Interesting. Okay, I think people have to write in and let us know who they agree with or tweet us. Yeah, and, please. Uh, and, and let us know what you thought of uh, Tanya. Uh, brings us to Ram. He starts off, again, we mentioned earlier, he's a bit of a smart-ass, maybe even a bit of a bully. He's definitely a jock uh, out there playing soccer, and, you know, he seems to be quite good at it, and maybe is getting pushed uh, a bit by his father to be a good soccer player. Uh, that's not overt, but that's just my interpretation. Uh, yeah, the, the 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 placing of the dad there was interesting, and I want to see where they go with that. Definitely, um, but as I mentioned, uh, he gets a new leg at the end of the episode because, in possibly the goriest thing I've seen in quite a while, he lifted that hem of his uh, trousers, and his leg had detached after he was attacked by the shadowkin. That was really surprising to me that they actually took the gore that far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the fact that it happened was a big deal. The fact that it was just so clearly portrayed was a big deal. And then to the point of him passing out and everything, um, you know, big, big ticks for, for going there. Because I, I, I did spend a couple of minutes after going, are they, go are they going there? They, they've gone there. Are they still going there? Wow, they're there. Because <laughs> I guess what prefaced it was his girlfriend getting zapped by a shadowkin and her blood and guts splattering all over him. I thought, oh, that's quite graphic, but it's kind of like a, a splatter film. It's kind of over the top, so you don't take it um, to heart that much. But but seeing someone and the action of them lifting their trouser to reveal the leg is detached, that, I, I was genuinely, I've got to say it again, I was genuinely shocked. Yeah, absolutely. But I think we can give ourselves a tick, though, Rob. When we did our preview discussion earlier in the month, or late last month, we did wonder if they would introduce a semi-main character just to kill him off in the first episode mm, yes the girlfriend and, and they did kill off the girlfriend so i thought okay points to them for doing that and points to us for picking it <laughs> yes indeed uh which finally leaves april and i'm going to say april is my favorite so far i think we we buffy is our reference point and come on we're allowed to because they even mentioned the Hellmouth in in this episode <laughs> that's right that gives us license yeah it does and i think april is the willow of the piece she's she's sweet she's quirky and uh i really like her and that's how i felt about uh, willow and buffy right from the start too yeah uh she's she's not my favorite so far charlie's my favorite so far but she did feel like a character, a genuine person, not a constructed character, in a way that I didn't think Tanya did. So, yeah, really nice, really lovely the way that she was played. Um, yeah, lots of positives. Oh, good. 
Um, I guess to wrap up, uh, at the end of this episode, I was glad there was always going to be a second episode on the uh, the ABC iView and for the folks over in the UK on their iPlayer. Um, because I think debut episodes always have to introduce so many concepts and so many characters that the um, the action is always a bit light on it. It sort of reminds me of, I don't know, in Doctor Who terms, the 11th hour or something, which is more about introducing the new Doctor, the new companions, and the uh, the enemy, you know, popped up sparingly, wasn't much of an enemy, and was dispatched very quickly. That seemed yeah, to be or, what happened in this episode, too. Yeah, or more, more obviously Rose, where, you know, the, 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 the plot of Rose is tissue thin. It's about introducing the series. Yeah. So I was I was very glad there was a second episode sitting there right away to watch, and we'll look at that in our next episode. I think the second episode will be a lot tighter than this one. I think, uh, well, I'm hoping at least that I'll maybe enjoy it a little more than this one. Not that I didn't enjoy this one, but I think intro episodes are always so hard to write and maybe so hard to watch. They're very hard to judge. Um, before I give it a score, do you have any closing remarks on this episode? Well, I just want to expand on what you've said there, because you're absolutely right. And 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 as I say this, perhaps my score is actually going to be increased, because they actually did a very good job at the end of this as a pilot episode, or as an op- opening episode. We know exactly where we are. We know who the characters are, but with room for expansion. We know the premise. We know the setup. We know the background. It really did tick a lot of the important boxes. And at the same time, there was enough in the drama that we've gone, hey, that was a great moment. That was a surprising moment. That was a gory moment. We actually did have a plot to talk about. Yeah. So so credit to them for doing them both. But I do want to add, this was a full 50 minutes rather than the usual 42, 43. True. And I did like the fact they used those last 10 minutes to actually wrap up not the plot, but let the characters wrap up the story. So the doctor's actually defeated the bad guy and buggered off in the TARDIS. And then we actually have the time for the characters to reflect on what the hell's just happened. Yeah. That wouldn't happen in a Doctor Who episode because the companion would just get in the TARDIS with them. They'll leave. Who cares what's happened on the planet? And in this case, this is what happens after the doctor does leave. People are going, oh, my God. What just happened? I've just lost someone. My friends have just been killed. I like that last slower six or seven minutes. I thought it was really good. Yeah, the, the that slightly longer running time did help it play out that way. All up, if I had to give this a mark out of 10, I'm going to say a 7.5 out of 10. Okay. I'm going to say... Mm, I'm going to give it a 9 as a opening episode. Wow. I'm going to give it 7 as a piece of drama... So I'm averaging to an eight. <laughs> That's very clever. Um, but look, we're within half a point of, of each other on this. So I think um, we'll return and, and review episode two. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. All righty. Well, there's the bell. The show's over. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show Presents Class, the podcast where Rob and Dave from The Doctor Who Show review the new BBC series Class week by week. If you like what you heard, why not tell a friend? Why not visit our website at www.thedwshow.net or drop us a line. We're on Twitter at The DW Show, facebook.com forward slash The DW Show and email hello at The DW Show.net. Of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or listen to the episodes through the website. The Doctor Who Show and all of the programs on our feed are by fans, for fans and 
and are also free. That means free of charge and also free of adverts. We'll see you next time.